We're pleased to have with us this morning a, a visiting minister, the Reverend Parker Tennant. Parker is the uh, assistant pastor at Independent Presbyterian Church, having served previously as an RUF campus minister and also as an RUF intern. And he's a native Memphian, so he knows this place. So, Parker, thanks for being with us and bringing God's word today. Thank you, David. It is a joy to be with you, and I'd like to say as I start that it is a blessing to be uh, a man that gets to deliver God's word to you this morning, um, and you are blessed to hear two sermons what Philip just shared uh, was the sermon that I needed to hear this morning. And so, thank you, Philip. Thank you for sharing that uh, and really preparing my heart to hear God's Word. So, uh, we are truly blessed. Uh, We'll be looking at several passages in the book of Proverbs, and they're written in your bulletin, order of service, and uh, you can read along with me. that come out of Proverbs, many different chapters. <clears throat> uh, and this is God's word for us this morning. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. It is better to be of lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility, humility comes before honor. The reward of humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, how good it is to be in your presence with your people, and we thank you for the lives you have changed by your word through the work of your spirit in this place. We thank you for Philip. We thank you for what he just shared, uh, for his story probably resonates with many of us, including myself, and we're reminded how much we need you every minute of every day. We cannot change ourselves, but you have to. We're powerless to be different people, but through your Spirit, as we hear your Word, you change us. And so we ask that you, O good God, would change our hearts this morning as we look at your Word. Would you make us humble people that we might follow after you in true humility. And so bless us as we hear of your Word this morning. In Christ's name, amen. As David said, I'm a local Memphian, and my wife is too, and the story I'm about to tell you is just kind of par for the course in our family. It happened May 16th of 2018, and it was uh, an afternoon where my wife came home with her car and tried to uh, restart it and get back to school to pick up the kids. But the car wouldn't start. The battery was dead, and so she calls me, and she says, the battery's dead. I need you to come help me, and so I come home. Uh, Somebody picks up the kids, they bring them uh, back to our house, and we 
sit there for 15 minutes trying to start our car and jump the car off and it wouldn't jump. And so the next day I said, well, I'll call the wrecker as soon as I get into work and maybe he'll come take our car to the mechanic and we'll learn what's wrong. But the wrecker comes the next morning while I'm at work and, and is actually able to start the car again. And so my wife calls me and says, hey, can you come home and take the car to AutoZone and figure out if it needs a new battery or something else is wrong? And so I come home and the car starts again by God's grace. And so I drive it to AutoZone there on Summer Avenue and I park it and it won't start. I go in, I said, anyway, uh, I talked to one of the AutoZone employees and said, anyway, you can tell me or help me understand if my battery's dead or if there's something else in my car that's wrong. And so they come out with that little kind of contraption they have and plug it up to my battery hoping they'll tell me, yeah, your battery's bad, you can get a new battery. And basically they tell me that our little thing is not working. Uh, So we can sell you a battery for $135, uh, and you can leave today and know that your battery works, uh, but that's all we can offer you. And I said, well, that's not a wise thing, uh, because it might be my alternator, it might be my starter, I don't know what's wrong, and I don't want to spend that money. And they said, okay, well, uh, thanks for coming by. And I said, well, do you have any jumper cables I can use to jump my car off? And they said, no, we don't have jumper cables here at AutoZone, which was surprising. Uh, And, of course, uh, I challenged this employee. I'm sure you have some jumper cables that you can let me have or loan me so I can jump my car. And they said, okay, fine, I'll go talk to my manager. And three minutes later, the manager comes out and says, here is a 12-grade pair of jumper cables that you can hook up to your car and start your car. But we can't help you. <laughs> so I said, well, that's great. So I had to wave somebody down in the parking lot to help me start my car. And so they graciously pulled next to my minivan. Ten minutes later, we couldn't start the car. And this guy graciously looked at me and said, well, if you had a higher grade jumper cables, it might force the energy through my car into your battery and might be able to start but these are only 12 grade. I said, okay, great. So I went into AutoZone again while I'm in their parking lot, you know, waiting for somebody to help me out. I said, uh, can you, do you have a pair of sixth grade jumper cables? I said, yes, and you can buy them for $35. Of course, so I bought the, the jumper cables, go outside, waiting for somebody else to come by, and then finally they jumped my car. So I drive my car three miles down the road to the mechanic And I said, hey, can you tell me if my battery's bad or it's my alternator? And so the guy wheels out this little contraption, plugs it up to my battery, and says, yes, your battery's actually uh, bad because your alternator's good. So it is a battery problem. Thanks. Uh, But here's the deal. I can sell you a battery for $200, but I can't install it until this afternoon. Well, that's not going to work. So I said, well, can you jump my car back off so I can take it back to AutoZone and get a battery. He says, sure. So he wheels out his uh, battery charger, and it doesn't work. And then he goes back into his garage and wheels out this, I guess it could probably jump a Mack truck, and hooks it up to my car, and finally it starts. And so I drive three miles down the road to AutoZone and buy a battery, and three hours later, I'm on my way. Has this ever happened to you? What's the moral of the story? Why would, I, why would I take that much time in a sermon to explain that to you or share that story? It's because of this. The reality that happened in that story, you and those pews this morning are fighting against. 
The reality of the story and the moral of the story is that you and I don't get to take life on our terms. That we have to take life on life's terms. You don't get to say what life brings you. You're not in control of your life. You can't control the outcome of your dreams, of your life. You don't know what's happening after this worship service. You don't know what's happening tomorrow, 10 years from now. You're not in control of your life. You don't get to take life on your terms. You have to take life on life's terms. And you don't know what life's going to give you. And we all know that deep down in our hearts. And we fight against it. Alanis Morissette, who um, was famous for an album, Jagged Little Pill, that came out in 1996, wrote a song called Ironic, and her lyrics says this, an old man turned 98 and he won the lottery and died the next day. It's a black fly in her Chardonnay, it's a death row pardon two minutes too late. It's a traffic jam when you're already late, a a no smoking sign on your cigarette break. It's like 10,000 spoons when all you need is a knife. It's meeting the man of your dreams and then meeting his beautiful wife. Isn't it ironic, don't you think? You see, Alanis Morissette, in her own kind of jaded way, is expressing what you feel and I feel every day. That life is difficult and you're not in control of it. And because of that, because of that reality, life demands wisdom. It doesn't necessarily, uh, wisdom is not necessarily helpful in life. It's something that you absolutely need to navigate life. It requires wisdom. One pastor says wisdom is navigating 80% of life's questions where the moral rules do not apply. 80% of life's questions where the moral rules do not apply. Questions like, where am I going to send my kids to school? That's not a moral question. And the moral law is not helpful at that point. Or how about this? I've been working for 15 years And I'm thinking about quitting my job and starting a new career. That's not a moral question. It's a question of wisdom. Or my college-age kid has done it again. And as as a parent, do I step in and rescue him or her? Or do I allow them to feel the consequences of their decisions? How do I best care for my aging parents? All these questions that you have this day sitting in those pews, the moral rule doesn't help you. The moral rules are not helpful. It's wisdom that you need. Because wisdom is required to live life. This is why pride is so destructive. Because people that are prideful are, not, are void of any wisdom. And all they do is they run their life into ditches over and over and over again. They make unwise decisions. And they pay the consequences for them. The question for you this morning is, do you have that wisdom? Do you have the wisdom it takes to navigate life? I've asked, my question, asked myself that question all the time, and usually I come up bankrupt. No, I don't, I don't have that wisdom. Lord God, please give it to me, because I need the wisdom that belongs to you just to get through life. This morning, we're going to talk about the secret ingredient to wisdom and the reason why many of us don't have the wisdom that it takes to live life. And that secret ingredient is humility. It's humility. Proverbs eleven two says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. 
but with the humble is wisdom. You see, humility is not a product of wisdom. Humility is the seedbed, is the soil by which wisdom grows. And if you don't have a humble heart, if you're not humble, wisdom is not going to grow. It's not going to be a virtue that you have in your life. Andrew Murray, in his famous book on humility, says this, Humility is the only soil in which virtue takes root. A lack of humility is the explanation of every defect and failure. Humility is not so much a virtue along with others, it is the root of all. Because it alone takes the right attitude before God and allows Him, as God, to do all. You see, humility is the greatest of all virtues. It just is. And through humility grows all these virtues that you and I want and desire in life. You want to be a wise person. You want to be a gracious person. You want to be a loving person, a kind person. If humility is void in your life, those those fruits, those virtues will not be manifested. We all need humility. And that's why, again, pride is so destructive in our lives. Because it tells us that we're self-reliant and self-dependent and we don't need anybody else. It reinforces in your heart and my heart that life is noble and predictable and we can figure it out. Just give me enough time. I'm smart enough to figure out life and do it well. And the truth is, ladies and gentlemen, you're not. You're not. You're not wise enough. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough to do life the way that God calls you to do life. I got two points this morning. We're going to talk about humility. So what is it? What is humility? How does the Bible define it? And then how do I get it flowing in my life? How do I I become a humble person? The first thing, what is humility? Well, uh, as we read the Proverbs, those are the I think six or seven Proverbs that talk about this virtue of humility. And you know that Proverbs are written in Hebrew. Uh, and so uh, the translation is not always easy. The Hebrews had three words or three groups of words that they used to define humility. And it's translated into one word for us, humility by itself. And so there's three different groups of understanding definitions to humility that we're going to look at that the Proverbs teach us. The first is a disposition or orientation of need. So the first definition of humility is, is, a, disposi- definition, is a disposition and orientation of need. Proverbs three thirty four says, Towards the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The same word is used in Isaiah 32, verse 7. As for the scoundrel, he devices, he's, his devices are evil, He plans wicked schemes to ruin the poor with lying words, even when the plea of the needy is right. And then in Isaiah 66, verse 2, But this is the one to whom I will look, the Lord says, He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. That Hebrew word there referring to humility means to have a disposition or orientation of neediness. Now, I know that's a big phrase and it's overwhelming. overwhelming. Um, It basically means that's your essence. That's who you are at your foundation. For those that have studied philosophy or understand or have taken classes, it's your ontological essence. It's who you are in your being. You are a person of need. You're a needy creature. 
And who best represents this but children? Little children. Didn't Jesus tell us that? Matthew 18. When the disciples come to him and say, hey, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says, at that time the disciples came and saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Or when he says, let the little children come to me, do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. I've got four children. And my littlest, this three-year-old, is constantly asking me for things. There's a running joke in our family uh, that she's almost the first one that gets up. And the first two things she tells me in the morning as I come home from, from working out is, give me a waffle and turn on Sesame Street. Right? Like she runs the house. You, know, you will do this for me because this is what I have you know, planned for my life today. Uh, but inside that is a perfect illustration that she can't feed herself. She can't dress herself. She can't turn on the TV. She can't do anything without somebody helping her. She is a needy creature in need of somebody to move into her life and meet her needs. And that's what it means to be humble. It means to acknowledge that you can't do life. You're a created being that needs God to take you by the hand and get you through life, to get you home safely. That's what humility is. A couple years ago, we went to Disney World with our children, and that is a magical place. I don't know if you've ever been there. Maybe you have. It's magically expensive, (laughs) and it's magically crowded. But there is no false advertising around that place. There just isn't. Because when you're there, it's a magical experience. And their motto, the world tells you to grow up, here you never have to, is so true. When I was there with my kids and they're eating all the sugar and riding all the rides, it makes you feel like a kid again. You have a childlike spirit. You don't have to grow up. You don't have to be grown up at Disney World. When's the last time you felt like that? When's the last time you felt like a child in a good way? That you were able to be childlike and express your needs to people and to cry out to Jesus and tell him the truth that you can't do life. It's just too hard. And you need somebody to take care of you. You're just a little child and so am I. And that's where humility starts, that you are an individual, a created being at your core that is needy and needs somebody to take care of them. Jesus goes on in that passage in Matthew 18, and this is kind of an aside, and and as a pastor to young adults constantly dealing with parental questions, I want to take this aside and and use it as an application because Jesus says in that famous passage, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, remember this passage, one of the hardest words that Jesus ever teaches in Matthew, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for you to have a millstone wrapped around your neck and thrown in the ocean or in the sea. What is Jesus saying? 
Jesus is saying, listen, if you are parenting your children, your grandchildren, children in this church, to be independent and to not need anybody, to not be children, Jesus is saying, it'd be better for you to have a millstone wrapped around your neck and thrown in the ocean. Why? Why has Jesus come so strong that way? Because that's who you are. That's who they are. They're needy creatures. And we're to raise them to need Jesus. He meets their needs. They need community. They need all, they need all kinds of things just like you need. Please do not raise your children to not need and to be independent and self-sufficient people. That is not what God asks of you as parents or grandparents. But secondly, moving on, the first definition is to be neediness. The secondly is to be lowly. Proverbs 16, 19, It is better to be lowly of spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. 29, 23, One pro- One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. This is the word that is used in Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I will dwell in the holy and high place, and also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit. This definition of the word humility means to be lowly in spirit, circumstantially. What we don't want to hear and what I don't want to hear is the, the character, the virtue of humility comes ultimately through circumstantial humility, which is suffering. The Proverbs here, and Isaiah is talking about somebody who's weak. This is the poor in spirit, a deflated ego that life has leaned into them. There are trials in their life that crush them, that crush you and I. And we're weak. And we can't do it. Proverbs 15.33 says, The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility becomes humility comes before honor. And then 18.12, Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. That, that word there, humility, means um, humility forged through suffering. Uh, what a hard word. That humility ultimately is going to come through trials and suffering in our lives. I uh, met a man when I first got to IPC eight years ago named Jim Power. And Jim Power was, was a godly man, uh, and he'd been around the church a long time. And he was always welcoming, always caring. Every time I preached, he had something good to say. He talked to me, invited me over his house. He was so, so welcoming. And he was a truly humble person. And I couldn't figure it out as I asked him questions and just spent time with him. Where is his humility coming from? And then one night we had him share his testimony in a group of uh, 30-somethings. And he told us a story at age 19. At age 19, December 14th, 19, or December, yeah, December 14th, 1944, he was there at the Battle of the Bulge in World War II. And there he was a casualty and lost five friends in that terrible war. And at 85 years old, 66 years later, he's in somebody's living room crying, overwhelmed 
by the suffering he had been through and experienced. And then I knew God had used that. God had used that suffering to forge humility in his heart. And that's true for all of us. Humility comes through suffering, comes through trials. Now, does it make sense why a lot of us aren't humble, including myself? Because you're doing everything in your life, everything in your power to to not suffer. You want to protect yourself. You want to keep the world out. You want to stay away from people that might hurt you. Nobody wants to suffer. Nobody. Including myself. And yet the Bible clearly speaches that humility, teaches that humility is going to come through suffering. But lastly, the last definition the Hebrews use for humility is, is submission. To be in utter submission to somebody else. This is Proverbs 11.2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. This is the same word used in that famous passage in Micah 6.8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly, to walk in submission to your God? The third understanding of humility is to be in total submission, to understand in the deep recesses of your heart that you do not belong to yourself. You never have and you never will. That you're in total submission to God, your creator. You're a subject. You're a creature that he made, that he loves, and that he cares for. And we're all to be in submission to him. And that's what's beautiful about Psalm 1.1. The psalm writer talks about delighting in the law of the Lord and on the law, meditating day and night, being in total submission to his word, reading it, absorbing it, understanding it, and obeying it. You're a creature just like I am. And we're to submit our lives to our creator in every way. We do not belong to ourselves. We belong body and soul to God who made us, who's redeemed us, who's placed his love upon us. And to live out your life that way. And that's what humility is. To have a disposition of need. To have a lowly spirit. To know suffering. And to be totally submissive. Does that remind you of anybody? I hope it reminds you of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the perfect manifestation of humility. Jesus knew what it meant to be needy. He needed things. Coming in the flesh, fully divine. But he needed his mother. He needed his friends. He needed his father. He needed food. He needed all kinds of things. He also knew suffering, persecution, pain, heartache. Jesus knew that. And he knew submission to his Father. What is the refrain that you hear over and over in the gospel, but not my will, but thy will be done? Jesus comes in complete submission to his Father to carry out redemption for you and for me. Jesus is the perfect manifestation of humility. And so that leads us to our second point, which will go a, lot fast, go a lot faster, which is, how do I get that flowing in my life? How do I get humility coming out of me? Well, it takes knowing Jesus. Jesus is the one that produces humility in your life. Three things. How do I get it flowing in my life? 
First, you got to get Jesus in your life. Now, that's a funny thing to say in a pulpit at a church like this, to say that Jesus, you need to get Jesus in your life. But I don't know where your faith is. I don't know who you are. I'm not sure if you're just exploring the claims of Christ. Or you're here because you've always been in church, but you don't really know who Jesus is. This could be the day that you really know who he is. That you take hold of him by faith, looking to him, knowing that he's gracious and good to forgive you, forgive you of your sins and to welcome you home. You've got to get Jesus in your life. You've got to make room for him. But for those of you in here that are Christians, have been Christians for a long time, Jesus might not be in your life. You're still pushing him out in some way. Your lives are so busy. I'm busy. We keep him on the margins. To say yes to something is to say no to something else. And so what are you saying yes to that's keeping Jesus out of your life? What is it that you're obsessed with? What are the idols in your heart that you're saying yes to, yes to, yes to over and over again, and yet Jesus stays at the margins because you're not making room for him? You know, maturity is saying no to a good thing. What are the good things in your life? Your, your lives are crowded just like mine, full of good things. What are the good things that you need to say no to so that you can have time with the Lord, that you can be present with Jesus and his word on a daily basis? Do you practice personal worship? Do you read your Bible on a regular basis? Not to merit God's favor, but to be with him. God is opposed to merit, but he's not opposed to effort. How are you disciplining your life to be with Jesus and be present with him? And quit believing the lie that you need to grow up. That you need to be somebody, you need to be mature. That's just a lie. Think about how you can be a child today and live like a child. You've got to get Jesus in your life. Secondly, you've got to practice. This is where it's difficult for many of us because we see humility as this virtue that's outside of ourselves that will never be realized in my life. We kind of laugh at it sometimes, like, oh, yeah, you know. I um, hope you read my book, Humility and How I Achieved It, kind of because you know, it's never going to be a reality for me. Um, well, why does the Bible ask you to be a humble people? How cruel of God to ask something of you that cannot be realized in your life. And the Bible is replete of commands. Peter tells us, clothe yourselves with all humility toward others. James tells us, humble ourselves before God. Andrew Murray, in his book about humility, says, and further, that this humility is not something that will come of itself, but it must must be made of the object of special desire, prayer, faith, and practice. Humility comes through listening to God's word and practicing it, submitting yourself to others, living out your life before other people, serving them, taking on a lowly estate. But lastly, you got to believe. you got to believe that humility is accessible to you. you got to believe it. Philippians 2.5 says, have this mind set among you that have this mind set among you that is yours in Christ Jesus. You know that famous passage about Jesus about humility? 
Paul tells us it's yours. It's something that you have. And how could he say that? How could Paul tell you and tell me that we have the humility of Jesus because Jesus lives inside of you? By his spirit, he's come to make a home in your heart. He's with you. And so humility is not something that's not accessible to you. It's not something that for people that are just older and have life experience. No, you can have it today, and you have it today. It's taking hold of it by faith and claiming it as your own and living it out. Living out a childlike experience. Asking people to help you, being needy, knowing that you can't do life on your own. Not getting up in the morning and putting on your slippers and saying, I'm going to conquer this day. No, that's pride. Getting up in the morning and putting on your slippers and whatever you do, your coffee, and say, Jesus, I need help because I can't do it. Today, life is going to be too hard for me. And I admit it. And I need you to take me by the hand and get me through it because I can't do it. That's what a child does. And you can do that too. By faith. Taking claim of it. I'll leave you with this. I don't, I'm not into construction. Maybe you are. Uh, maybe you're a contractor. I, I build Legos. I do Legos. Maybe you do that too. Well, the principle about building a, a big building, a skyscraper, if you're going to build something big and tall, you have to go deep into the ground. You've got to go really low to set the foundation for the weight of that building. And if you want to build a life of wisdom where you can navigate life and not run your life into a ditch on a daily basis, if you're going to live according to God's way, you got to go low. you got to humble yourself. you got to know that Jesus is with you and the humility he has is yours. To be like a child. Submit yourself to him and his word and live out a lowly life. Don't avoid suffering, but ask, Jesus, what do you want me to know about you in this suffering so I can be a humble person? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and what it teaches us. And even now as I pray, I I just ask that you would humble me, that you would humble all of us that you work inside of us by your spirit to know that we are your children and that we're totally submissive to you in every way and you meet all of our needs. And you have a plan for us. And this world is hard and it's full of suffering and pain and heartache. We ask that you would, through those trials, through that pain, that you would forge deep in our hearts Humility, that that virtue would grow, that we would be more gracious people, more kind people, more people that look like Jesus. And so would you do that, Father, for your glory and for our good. In Christ's name, amen.